the R. Jackson Home Podcast. Uh, we are here today with Coordinator Rico Bryson from the Jackson Fire Department. Welcome to the podcast, Rico. Thanks for having me. Uh, just a real quick note. Rico and I met during Leadership Jackson this yes. uh, last fall, yes. and his nickname was Suave. <laughs> yes. and, and so if I accidentally refer to someone in this podcast as Suave... I'm talking to Rico. Yes, yes, yes. Rico Suave. Uh, so, Rico, where are you from? Talk, tell us about your family, and, and let's start there. I'm originally from a small town in Mississippi, Lamar, Mississippi, uh, where everyone knows everyone. Um, the road that I grew up on was um, Roberts Chapel Road. Pretty much mostly family, mm-hmm. and um, if they weren't immediate family, they were distant family, so... Everyone knew everyone. You've messed yeah. up at school. We had a very small school. The school I went to uh, was H.W. Byers High School in Mount Pleasant, Mississippi, and it was K through 12. Okay. <laughs> so you how small it All was. All right. Yeah. Um, and uh, family, you're married? Yes. Uh, and children? Yes. We um, um, married, been married for 15 years. My wife's name is Latanya Bryson. She worked at the hospital in the cath lab. Uh, we have two beautiful children Zaria Bryson she's 15 and I think that um she's possessed you know like most <laughs> most teenagers, teenagers. Are. Yeah. yeah and my right hand man Keegan um he's he's 10 he goes to South Elementary okay this is my and um and so you you were you were raised in what part of Mississippi is it north south central north Mississippi north Mississippi yeah so that's not too far from here but yeah. so how did you make the jump to Jackson well um I had applied to a number of fire departments mm-hmm. at this time, and um, I applied at Memphis Fire Department, Carryville. Carryville is only 30 minutes from where I live. I actually work and pretty much grew up in Carryville. Okay. Um, I applied there, and I applied here, mm-hmm. and um, Jackson called me back first. Okay. Yeah. They and were glad for it. Yeah. Actually, um, the time between when they originally called me and you know to come in and do my physical agility test, take my written test, and all that. From the moment that I actually got hired, it was about three years. Wow. Yeah, it was three years. When I originally um, applied for the fire department, and I did my physical agility test, and I did my written test, my civil service test, and passed all those things, um, they went on a hiring freeze. And from that time to when I actually started, they called me to you know, see if I was still interested. Mm-hmm. I was driving trucks. I was a truck driver. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I see a smile on your face, Kevin. You didn't know that about me. I did not know that about you. That's, well, yeah. you went from driving one type of truck to a red one. Yes, yeah. So, so be, the desire to become a firefighter yeah. is, is I think all red-blooded American males have a desire to do something heroic yeah. on uh-huh. a regular basis, but most of them fail to act on that. Right. Me, myself included. Right. But you willingly signed up and went through the training to rush into burning buildings what why i mean i know that's maybe answers the question of why but why did you want to become a firefighter i've always had a desire to help people um it's been instilled in me since i was a young boy my father my grandparents have always given me you know um showed me how to help help others and you know and through leadership jackson i think it kind of put things in perspective being a servant leader and um, willing to serve others. And I think that's what a firefighter is. You know, most people have a desire to want to become a firefighter, but um, like you said, rarely act on those, that um, desire. You have to, to me, it's a calling. You, you have to be called to, to do this. 
um, to sacrifice your life for people when you're out of uniform probably want to look your way or say hey to you. Yeah. So you have to have a, a desire and a passion mm-hmm. to do this. And I always tell young guys that come into the fire department who hire in that don't look at this as another job. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with um, working in a factory or any place like that. Mm-hmm. To me, this is a ministry. This mm-hmm. is a calling. This is a desire to do it. And if you don't have that desire, you know, pray to your Lord that he bless you with that desire mm-hmm. to help others. Because there's a good likelihood that many people have passed in the line of duty. Yeah. And, and your number could get called one day, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's just like um, last year when um, um, Mr. Blankenship for the Madison County Fire Department, mm-hmm. who was responding to a, a car accident, you know, he never thought that this would be his call. Yeah. You know, so um, it's, it, to me, it's a, it's a calling to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we see guys come into the fire service so often who um, are not mature spiritually, um, emotionally mm-hmm. to handle all that come with the fire department. Yeah. That's a heavy burden to carry here. It is. I mean, you know, we, we see a number of things. Uh, most people, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, um, created to see some of these things that we see, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, um, I originally started, you know, when I got out of fire and got out of, out of, um, fighting fire, I came into training and my first recruit class that I trained my men, when, when they went in, went into their assignment at the fire stations, one of the first calls for, for two of them was um, going to, to um, help bring bodies out of the woods behind Sonic, the two brothers who had passed. Oh my. You know, these are new guys that are just hired onto the fire department who just finished basic recruit training, and now this is one of the first calls that they go on. Yeah. So you have to have something within you to be able to 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 love the job that you do and deal with the other things that come with it. Yeah. You know, cause that, that takes a special, um, gut check Correct. to be able to go and do that and then be able to come out on the other side. Correct. Correct. And you know, um, when, when eight o'clock get here and everyone go their separate ways and how are you going to deal with and cope with those things, mm-hmm. you know, to be strong in your faith and to be strong in, excuse me, who you are as an individual it's important to to have that kind of foundation coming into a career like this. And I look at this as a career and a ministry because, you know, um, this particular career do offer upward mobility if you're one that, that's seeking to move forward mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and moving beyond just becoming a firefighter and moving up the chains, becoming a driver, a captain, a battalion chief, mm-hmm. or moving into other careers in the fire service like um, training, public education, prevention. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a, a number of... Um, career paths that a person to travel in so if you a person that's seeking upward mobility who look at this as a career this is a this is perfect for you you know if you're a person that have always wanted to give back this is a great ministry to be a part of mm-hmm. so and this message was brought to you by the jackson fire department yes. <laughs> <laughs> but so rico well speaking of that career path how long were you in the fi- in the truck fighting fires but you've now moved on to uh, an education role so how long were you in the houses doing the firefighting? I was, um, three years I fought fire. And after three years, I promoted into our training division mm-hmm. where I trained in new recruits. I trained department personnel doing their in-service training, okay. their annual in-service training. And um, after that, I, I was in training for about two years, right at three years. And then I, I moved over into public education mm-hmm. where I was a public educator um, going out, educating the community, educating schools, 
um, nursing homes, factories about uh, fire and life safety. And uh, now, since I've been in um, public education, I've moved to the role of coordinator of public education. And um, I'm over that division now. Okay. Um, it's kind of a bittersweet um, transition that I made. Um, the bitter part of it, the, the gentleman who I took his place, he had to retire because he, he was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, it was life-changing for him, so he, had, he retired. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I stepped into his role to help take the, the public education division in the Jackson Fire Department forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how do you feel about not being on a truck fight, mm-hmm. racing to fight fires anymore? It, you know, um, what, when I first got promoted into training, and I see the, the fire truck go down the highway. I'm like, gosh, man, I wish I could be on the truck. Yeah. Or if they're, you know, uh, our facility is at 720 South Highland. So we kind of got a bird's eye view of the city. Mm-hmm. So if there's smoke, we can see it from where we are. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, to, to, to see that smoke and not be able to go on that call. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was fortunate because I became a, um, a uh, safety officer. I took took the um, state level test and I uh, passed those state level tests to be a safety officer. So at one time we were being dispatched out or responded to mm-hmm. um, fires. So I actually got to go out and smell some of that that smoke. And, yeah. You know, my turnout gear didn't get nasty anymore. So you know, it gave me a, an opportunity to brush up against the guys who were actually going into the house. Yeah. But you know, um, again, you know, we we love fighting fire, mm-hmm. but that is the worst day of some person's life yeah you know yeah it's kind of um we had tom miners on here he's a weatherman for wbbj and i I asked him i said do you love or hate like inclement like bad weather and it's one of those things where he doesn't love it but it isn't like and it's an exciting part of his job but it's also what he's there to do exactly exactly he's exactly right um you know um we hate for that tone to come out um there's a there's a house fire because you know it could be someone inside. Yeah. You know, um, someone is losing all their possessions, but um, it's one of the, you know, for a firefighter, that's one of the most gratifying moments to to be the one to be the first person to go into a burning house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to be on the nozzle. If you're fighting fire, you don't want to be the second or third guy going <laughs> in. You want to be on the nozzle. You're yeah. the one that's putting the fire out. You're you're the one that's looking for the fire. So you know every firefighter you talk to, they want to be the nozzle man. They want yeah. to be on the nozzle. Who's ever going through the front door? And I was on our when I fought fire. I was on when I first started out. When I was on our um, RIT team. Um, um, I don't know what that means. Um, search and rescue. Okay. Yeah. Um, rapid intervention uh, team, which we do search and rescue for our own men who go down mm-hmm. in the line of duty. So that was our primary um, responsibility was to be on standby if, if there was a mayday situation that went out. And we also helped them with manpower. But um, when they dismembered the uh, RIT team, um, I moved to uh, truck two, which is on Westwood, uh, the ladder truck on Westwood. And um, yeah, I, I got to ride Engine 22 a lot. Engine 22 over there, they, they get to go car accidents, house fires, you know, they are covering the bypass. Mm-hmm. So they get to go on a lot of stuff. Truck 2 kind of sat dormant at the stations. And, you know, there was an opening on, on, on Engine 22. Everyone wanted to get on Engine yeah. 22. But after I left the Station 2, I went downtown. In my opinion, I love all my guys and I love all the stations. Yeah. There's no there's no station like Station 1 downtown. Okay. And why is that? Um, station 1... 
I think they get a lot of the action in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Snorkel One. I was on that um, that crew, which is another aerial truck. Then I moved to um, the truck that I think is the best truck in the city, and I'm a little biased to that. And that's our hazmat truck, Engine 13. Okay. I'm a hazmat technician. Oh. So um, our hazmat unit consists of three vehicles. The pumper, which is Engine 13, our hazmat RV, and our hazmat truck. Well, we call it gooseneck, which is a truck and trailer. Okay. And on the RV, we have um, chemical programs like um, like a Cameo, um, 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 I think it's a, a more plot where you could plot. Like if there was a, a chlorine leak at JEA uh, water treatment facility mm-hmm. on, um, on um, rural and Magnolia Street. Well, based off of the wind, the, um, the temperature outside, we can plot out how big that plume would be wow. during certain times of the day. Like if it was a daytime leak, you know, things would move pretty quickly. If it was at nighttime, things are, you know, the, the um, leak will move kind of slow and it'll lay low to the ground. So we worked on the, these types of uh, computer systems to to be able to plot if there, like on the interstate, if there was a truck hauling hazardous chemicals, if it was to rupture or vent for, for whatever matter, uh, we could plot, plot that out based off how big that leak is, how fast the wind is blowing, and that determined how we're going to evacuate certain areas. So it was, it was pretty cool to be on Engine 13. That's um, When we come back from the break, I want to talk more about what are some of the things that we might not be aware of. Because like, everything that you just told me are things that, obviously, we know the fire department fights fires. Right. But we don't, there's a lot of other things that we don't know about. So when we come back from the break, Rico, I want to talk about that some okay. more. So from our front porch to yours, this is our Jackson home. Jackson home. I'm here with coordinator Rico Bryson of the Jackson Fire Department. Uh, Rico, as we ended the last segment, we were starting to talk about some things that the fire department does that most people don't even know. And so, um, and as, as the coordinator for public education, you're involved in a lot of those aspects. Um, So why don't you tell us about some of the, some of the initiatives that you guys have going on? Well, when the tornado uh, that came and hit Union, mm-hmm. I was, was there. You were the, you was there. You were a student, right? I was a student. Yeah, that really opened up, opened our eyes to a lot of things that, you know, we as a Jackson Fire Department really needed to train in. And the fire chief at the time, James Pearson, um, he started our USAR team, Urban Search and Rescue. Okay. Um, in that re- USAR team, there were multiple disciplines that each each member. Um, each personnel who signed up to be a part of that, um, the urban search and rescue team, had to go through, um, like um, um, high angle rescue, low angle rescue. We all had to become rope technicians, and I'm one of, them, one of those rope technicians. So pretty much any knot that you could you could you could think of, we should be able to tie it. Okay. Um, we did a lot of repelling. We did a lot of ascending as well. Um, our training tower at um, Fire Station Number One downtown. I never thought when I hired onto this this fire department that I would have to climb that tower from the outside, <laughs> and I did it. I did it, and it was cold, yeah. and we did it. Um, and we had to do confined space training, trench collapse, building collapse, and all those things. The tornado that hit Union brought by those things. Um, building collapse. We didn't have. We had no clue of what we were doing when Union hit. And I know that may sound yeah. bad. I mean, I just think. It, 
because of the grace of God, no one got got seriously injured or killed. Mm-hmm. Um, none of the rescuers got hurt or killed. Yeah. Uh, we had a couple sprained ankles. But it uh, could have went a different way. It could have went, went a different way because, you know, when a building collapsed and you start cutting rebar, you need to know if I cut this rebar on this end, what is it going to do on the opposite end? Yeah. And and we didn't we didn't we didn't go in there um, thinking that. We went in thinking about life safety, how to get the people out of the rubble. So, thank the Lord that most of the victims who were trapped underneath um, the concrete w- was able to communicate to us. Yeah. Um, when we started cut things, they were able to talk to us and tell us if the load was shifting to make it worse on them or better. So. Um, in that tragedy, um, brought by so many other things that we were able to do now. Mm-hmm. And now we do, um, we're, we have, I think about 22, um, use of our technicians on the department, including myself. Um, we also do um, hazmat. Um, if there's ha- um, hazardous spills, mm-hmm. chemical spills, things of that nature, we have a hazmat team that will go out to mitigate that incident. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of the um, hazmat technicians. We work closely with um, TEMA here, who do a lot of our hazmat training. Which is Tennessee Emergency Management Agency? It, correct, yeah. correct. And we also work with um, EMA. Emergency Management Agency. There you go. Is that so, the federal level? Or is um, the, the county level. County level, yeah, okay. Yeah, local government. Um, and their house out at the airport. And, um, and we do a lot of work with them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, those are our resources that we need in the event of an emergency. So uh, we all work closely together to help, you know, maintain a level of training, professionalism, and 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 pretty much be able to go out and work together. You know, when you bring in multiple agencies, sometimes it's hard to get those agencies to jail well. Yeah. And by working with these guys, these other agencies during training outside of the emergency, when those moments do happen, we're able to kind of. Uh, jail pretty good yeah yeah that's awesome yeah um do you guys go into the schools and do stuff with the students yes we do um uh, my division is the division that kind of oversee you know all the community involvement mm-hmm. for schools nursing homes any any or- civic organizations that you could think of um you would call our division the public education division to set that up mm-hmm. and um we would go out and educate people in fire and life safety uh, we talk about you know I try to take the message beyond just stop, drop, and roll. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that most people are aware of what we do. But the things that we do um, kind of, you know, we kind of, you know, set things up in, in age groups and, and age-appropriate messages. So we, you know, we teach stop, drop, and roll. Don't get me wrong. And that's in early childhood development. I say um, pre-K, kindergarten, first grade. And our message is kind of progressive from that point um, into um, getting out the home, Get low and go, once out, stay out, and kind of go from that early childhood development throughout the, the parents and the adults of the home. So we kind of educate the entire family. Mm-hmm. Um, we go into we go to civic organizations and um, like the Rotary and um, the um, uh, different civic clubs and talk to, to them about fire safety and things that we're doing as the Jackson Fire Department within the community. And I think it's important. And to me, that's one of my most favorite aspects of the job is talking, the interaction with our public and our, our community. Yeah. Um, we get a lot of good feedback from them on things that we're doing, mm-hmm. things that they would like to see us do more of. And to me, there's no substitute for that. Um, I really like the community involvement and uh, getting out and talking to the community. 
One of the things that you've told me about before that I had no idea and would not have expected was that you guys are involved with the factories in town. Correct. We do a lot of um, uh, fire safety training with factories. Um, there are two factories in particular that we have worked with um, with their internal um, industrial fire brigade. And um, we work with them. We teach them how to fight fire, how to do it safely, and um, you know um, everything from incident command, how the structure is supposed to be set up, mm -hmm. and to ensure you have accountability throughout the incident, and make sure that no no group of people are working beyond the command structure. We teach them about that. Um, we, we teach factories about how to use portable fire extinguishers. We go into the factory. We identify the people who um, the organization want to train, and we train those those individuals on the proper use of uh, portable fire extinguishers. So, so factories have people inside of it that are, I guess, regular workers. Yes. But then are also trained to fight fires. Correct. Now um, there are different levels um, that we're talking about. If you're talking about incipient stage fires, when you're using portable fire extinguishers. That's a person like yourself, Kevin, that could go in. I teach you. I think I think that's a compliment, but I'm not sure. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't have to put any, what I, what I was getting at is you, you wouldn't have to put any special clothing on okay. to fight that fire with a, with a portable fire extinguisher. Okay. If you've seen the, if you notice the, um, the fire, the emergency, you can mitigate it in your regular clothes. When you're talking about the industrial fire brigades, you're talking about firefighters within the organization, just like myself. Okay. Yeah, so you have uh, we have a couple uh, companies that have their internal uh, fire brigade, mm -hmm. and they have them across all their shifts. So they may have okay. um, 15, 20, 30, and upwards number of personnel that will respond in event of emergency. Mm -hmm. So if there was a fire, um, they would sound the tone within the organization to alert the, the brigade members that there is a fire. And, and once they realize where that fire is located, whether it's um, north, central, or south of the plant, mm -hmm. those different brigade members that are are located throughout the facility will respond to that, that emergency. And you guys provide training for these? Correct. Okay. Correct. We provide training, annual training for them. Uh, most of our brigades, uh, we train on a 40-hour week. So uh, with one particular company, we train four weeks with them. Um, they have that many fire brigades. So in the fall, we were, we were trained from starting in September and probably will end around um, early, late November, early uh, early December. So uh, we would train every other week with these guys. Um, in the spring, we do a lot of um, incident command training, confined space training. You know, on, in factories, you have um, uh, permanent required confined spaces. You have non-permanent required confined, confined spaces. And these guys will have to go in in any event of emergency or work or going down in one of these spaces, they would know have to know how to go in and get those those people out and bring them out safely. Because it might be a few minutes before the fire department can Correct. get there, and Correct. they can be there on site. Correct, and they're 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 on site, and most of you know most of the time these guys are, you know, um, you know, well trained. You know, they they're they're prepared for that emergency. They may not be, you know, they will set up the original confined space work area, like a tripod and ropes and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they may have one person there to, to oversee the, the site while people going in to do repairs and things like that. But if there was an emergency, the alarm would, t would sound and multiple people would show mm -hmm. before we would get there. Oh. Yeah. That's, that's a really neat thing. And I, I imagine 
not everybody even at the factories might even know that there's people amongst them that are yeah. trained yeah. to fight the fire. Trained, I mean, and you have firefighters, you have trained first responders, mm-hmm. you even have your confined space entry um, and rescue teams. So in the factories here, it could get very complex yeah. with, you know, uh, first responders. Well, Rico, there's one other thing that I know you're really excited about, and that's the Life, sa- uh, life Safety House. Yes, yes. And, and we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and I want you to tell, tell us all about the Life Safety House. It's a new initiative from the Jackson Fire Department. So, uh, from, we are, um, I forgot my tagline. Between the Tennessee and Mississippi Rivers, Rico, this is our Jackson home. <laughs> Bryson from the Jackson Fire Department. Uh, Rico, one of the things I know you're really excited about is this new venture the fire department's doing called the Life Safety House. Correct, yes. Tell me about it. Um, I must admit first before I get into it that this wasn't my idea. Um, this was actually a vision of uh, Captain Thomas Reeves who were who was over the public education division um, that I currently um, um, that I'm currently in. Um, he had this vision, um, but he couldn't just get it. He couldn't get it into fruition. Um, he applied for grants. He actually got some grant money, and when it wasn't able to use the grant money because of, he didn't have a facility. Gotcha. Um, last year, Mayor Jerry Gist um, um, gave us a double wide trailer at seventy four B Canalco Drive, and in that in that trailer, where in that where in town is that? That's out by Jackson State. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, Canalco Drive is the first is the street that, that you get to before you cross over the bridge going towards Jackson State okay. All right. on Parkway. All right, keep going. Yeah. So, um, Mir Gis gave us the, the facility, and um, through some of the training that we offer um, to industry, we were able to purchase some of the um, the props to go on the inside of the trailer. Okay. So um, right now uh, we're in the construction phase of things. And we're kind of winding down on um, the construction phase. There are some other minor projects that we have to do. And keep in mind, this is being recorded in, uh, if you're listening to this, and it may be March or April when this comes out, but we're recording this in February. So the progress might almost be done by the yes, time this correct, comes out. Yes, correct, correct. Um, so the, the facility itself will give individuals within the community the opportunity to get as close to a real situation or uh, mimic a real life situation as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we have three props in the facility as it stands right now. Um, we have a kitchen prop, which um, will teach people um, what to do in the event of a kitchen fire. If there's an oven fire, a cooktop fire, how to use a portable fire extinguisher, when you should use a portable fire extinguisher, and the things that you should do um, or shouldn't do um, in that moment. So you're telling me if I was to come to this life safety house and I went into the kitchen, you could light the oven on fire? Uh, it's a simulation. Um, it, will, it, it, it will look like it's on fire, uh-huh. um, but and it will produce smoke. Okay, and heat? Uh, no heat. No heat, okay. No heat. It will produce smoke. Um, so it's really safe? Yes. Okay. And we're trying to give people um, 
good training moments. You know, we pull from from the training that we have have gotten. So if you you haven't gotten any training, you're gonna pull from bad experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know, um, what did I do the last time, or what did, what shouldn't I do? So we're giving the family a, as a whole an opportunity to create good training experiences. Okay. Um, um, using oven mitts in the kitchen, having a three foot working space, um, teaching uh, parents and family members to to maintain that working space for small kids and, and pets. Um, turning pot handles inside so you won't accidentally pull hot items over onto you, things like that. And uh, we have in our uh, second prop, which would be a family room, so to speak, uh-huh. a weather simulator in, in there. Uh, we can simulate um, our severe thunderstorm coming through the area uh, with a weather radio, and it will give out information about the weather, the uh, severe weather moving through the area, mm-hmm. and what's, what steps you should take um, as a homeowner um, to to ensure the safety of you and your family, and the room do vibrate. Okay. Yeah. It, 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 when the weather, you know, we always hear about the eye of the storm of a tornado yeah. and how that freight train sound. Oh, and if you hear it, you will never forget it. Exactly. We're giving people that opportunity to experience that. So if they ever, if the or if they have ever been in a tornado or severe air weather, mm-hmm. they know exactly what you know. People who've been through it, they can relate to it. Yeah. People who haven't been through it, now they know what to experience, what to what you know, what to listen for, and the things that they should do before they they actually hear that sound. Gotcha. Um, and we also teach people about using auxiliary heat, like fireplaces and things like that. Not having any combustible items around that, giving it the proper space that it needs, about three feet of space that it needs, so you know items won't catch fire and things like that. And then in the third prop, which is a bedroom. Through the state fire marshal's office, there's an initiative of close the door while you sleep. So we're teaching people to close their bedroom doors while they are sleeping. The reason why is if there was a fire in another part of the house, um, by closing your bedroom door will slow the progression of fire and give you the necessary time that you need to get out safely. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it's a state fire marshal's office website. You could go on to uh, Tennessee.gov. And you can actually see photos of rooms that have survived fire, intense fire all around it. And you can still make out the items that are inside the, the bedroom. Excuse me. And you can see only soot that may have seeped through the cracks. And, and mm-hmm. you see that people would have survived if there was anyone inside this room. Yeah. So, you know, we have smoke that will come underneath the door. The door will get hot. To your touch, so we're teaching people: if you wake up and your smoke alarm is going off, and you see smoke coming underneath the door, you need to touch that door to see if it's hot. Because if you got a lot of smoke coming underneath the door, yeah. the conditions on the other side of that door is really severe. You don't need to chance it by trying to run through the smoke, or you know trying to crawl underneath the smoke. You need to go out another way, and that would be the bedroom window. Gotcha. So we're teaching people, you know, giving people actually hands-on experience of what I should do. You know, we, we go around all the time and we talk about these things, but people mm-hmm. rarely or seldomly get the opportunity to practice. Yeah. And and that's what we're giving people, the opportunity to practice these things so they could take on take home with them good conversation and a good training moment and experience that they could they could carry over into their homes. 
So who's the target market for this program? Are you looking at students? Are you looking at people, random people from the community? Well, through the um, um, the uh, school system, Jackson Madison County School System, mm-hmm. we're looking at targeting entire second graders. Okay. But um, for the community as a whole, if you have a church organization, a civic organization that you would like to bring through this facility, mm-hmm. um, we encourage everyone, all ages, to come through the facility. Okay. Yeah. And so when that comes open, who's gonna? Are you gonna be the person to call to get a tour? Correct. I'll be the person to call. You can contact the Jackson Fire Department at four two five. 8350 or 425-8347 and ask for the Public Education Division. Do you answer the phone, fire department, you light them, we'll fight them? <laughs> no. no. Okay. Just, <laughs> I like that, but no. That's a freebie. Yeah. Feel free to use that. I like that. Um, you light them, we'll fight them. Yeah. I got that. Okay. Uh, so, so, um, so those are some really neat things that the fire department is doing in our community to help make it a safer place. Rico, what is the top thing we can do to prevent fires in our homes? Sitting down as a family and and educating each other on what things that we shouldn't do. Like, in my home, there's a battle between my wife and I (laughs) about the use of candles. Uh, Okay. You know, um, my wife will like to sit candles throughout the home, uh-huh. you know, scented candles. And, you know, you should never leave a candle unattended. Okay. And, and this is a conversation, a message that I'm teaching my family about not leaving candles unattended. Yeah. Um, if you if you are one that use space heaters, um, you should never sleep with those space heaters on. Mm-hmm. Um, you should give those space heaters the proper space that they need. Make sure that they're not around any combustibles. Or make sure they have safeties in them where if you if you have small pets or animals, that if they knock them over, that they were shut off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these are some of the things that you, you know, you could call us and we could come out and sit down and talk to you about, you know, things that you could do to make yourself more safe. You know, I always say we don't see ourselves. And by calling the fire department, we are, we're the unbiased eye that would come into your home and show you that if you're using a lot of extension cords throughout your home, you're increasing your chances of, of a fire. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're using, I always call them those Christmas extension cords, those little cheap brown ones and uh-huh. white ones and green ones that you could buy. Those produce a lot of heat. So we want to make sure that we're not using those as permanent wiring. Some people want to want to plug those in and run them behind the couch or underneath carpet or stuff like that, and they're not intended for permanent use. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're using or having to use extension cords, make sure you use the power strips with the um, with the reset. So if the, if if they there's a surge protector, if the power was surged or for whatever reason, it would trip the breaker within that surge protector that would protect your home and all your appliances. So, you know, we're, we're trying to go into the home and, you know, we use our uh, smoke alarm program to get into homes most of the time and helping the, help educating the people about things that they shouldn't do. If you have carbon monoxide, um, by having carbon monoxide detectors, if you have a fireplace, your hot water heater run off propane or natural gas, if you're a cooktop, run off propane or natural gas, if you got gas coming into the home, period, having uh, working carbon monoxide detectors in the home in around and near those sleeping areas so if you have if a split floor plan floor plan on your home and you have bedrooms on, on opposite end of the home you need to have carbon monoxide detectors as well as smoke alarms on both ends of the home yeah if you if you have a bonus room or a family room that you 
may you know fall asleep in while watching television you may want to think about installing those in those areas as well because if you spend a lot of time there and you accidentally fall asleep or you intentionally fall asleep in those areas you need to have protection there as well and you know we just try to educate people uh in the older homes by painting the windows shut you know some people come in and they paint the windows and now you can't raise them up making sure that those windows work properly. So we, when we come in, we, when we come into your home, we're trying to help give you that overall safety message and talk to you about things that most people don't even think about, yeah. you know? So we can call the fire department and people will come, you know, they'll send someone out and sure. say, here's yes. our safety evaluation of your home. Correct. And That's a pretty neat right. offering. And a lot of people are not aware of those things that we do. And, you know, please take advantage of your, your local fire department. Yeah. If you have smoke alarms in your home that's older than 10 years old, it's time to replace those. NFPA 72 states that you should replace those smoke alarms um, after um, 8 to 10 years. Okay. The efficiency of those smoke alarms start to diminish after that time period. So um, for them to be effective, they may not be. So you're telling me that in my home, my wife and I have taken ours off the wall because it kept going off in the kitchen. And it's on a bookshelf in another room. We should probably yes, should probably fix that situation. Yeah, call me, Kevin. Okay, yeah, I will come out and put smoke alarms in your home at no cost. This is a free program That's that we amazing. do for um, citizens of Jackson. Um, take advantage of that. Um, we so, come out. So you have no excuse, Jackson, to not have a smoke detector. Correct. In your house. There's no excuse. Um, 2016. There shouldn't be anyone that have um, that that are living in your home without working smoke alarms. Um, Rico, we're going to close it up here. Is there anything we can do to support the fire department? Yeah, we, we definitely need advocates throughout the community to, to come in and see what we're doing, to go out and sp help spread that message of fire, fire and life safety. Um, we will, we're open you know, for you to come in and, and, and view our life safety house to see what we're doing, how this could be a tool that could save someone's life. I mean, you know, we look at things, you know, look at the work that we do, and we really can't, um, you know, uh, put it into numbers. It's hard to put things into numbers. Mm -hmm. But through our state, our state uh, fire marshal's office with our smoke alarm program, we're able to see every time we have a home that we put smoke alarms in and they have a house fire, that was a life save. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know... Um, we we definitely need advocates to, to 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 help us be in that be visible in the community to be heard in the community about what we're doing. All right. Well, you heard them. Our Jackson home, Rico. Thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you for helping to make Jackson a better place and thank choosing you. to call it home. Thank you for having me. Well, that brings us to the, another end of our Jackson home. So uh, make sure you rate and subscribe. And if you have any questions for Rico and how you can make your house more fire safe what's that phone number they can reach you out again 425-8350 or 425-8347 actually speak to rico bryson with the jackson fire department public education division and that uh, is the end of another episode of our jackson home today's podcast was hosted by kevin adelsberger our intro music was performed by aaron harden it was record, recorded live at The Cove and was the first podcast recorded in the new podcast studio. To find out more about The Cove, visit their website at www.atthecove.com. To find out about uh, more about Our Jackson Home and to read about how amazing Jackson is, visit ourjacksonhome.com.